Hello, welcome to Cinema Motif, uh, where we talk about themes or trends or honestly whatever we want to talk about with movies. But uh, this week we are going to be talking about character introductions, pretty much the you know memorable few shots or a whole scene where we are first introduced to a character. And uh, I'm Patrick Alaka. And I'm Jason Konigsberg of PanandSlam.com, and we got this idea. How did we get this idea today, Patrick? What movie were we talking about that inspired this? What were we talking about? We were we were on the phone just kind of like shooting the shit. And, I think uh, we were talking about you in film noir, and you just watched The Big Sleep last night, and I said how we started talking about double indemnity, and then it eventually led to us talking about The Third Man, and I said how Harry Lyme might have one of the best movie intros in cinema history and you agreed and then you started talking about other ones and i mentioned other ones that i thought were the best but it started with us talking about uh yeah film noir because you watched the big sleep last night yeah that's pretty much it so let's just jump right in so there are different ways to introduce characters of course there are there's like the mystery reveal where we're seeing like bits and pieces of the character before and uh, there's movies where we hear about a character before we see them, so they're like kind of hyped up by other characters talking about them. And there are movies where a character is just introduced, fully formed, without any fanfare at all, and it's just like, whoa, who is this? So let's just start with the first category in terms of while, like a while mystery. you were talking about while you were describing those three categories, Patrick, I immediately thought of one intro that fits in all three categories. Interesting. What's that? Yeah, so I can mention it now or we can mention it later, but that's well, really, I was like, that's all three of them. Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, let's let's start with the first category. Maybe you could save it to the end of just like something that okay. sums up all three categories. So let's just talk okay. about like the mystery reveal, like where we see, this is usually where we just don't see a character's face. It's, you know, we're just seeing like their hands or they're in shadows and, uh, you know, it's very like mysterious intro. Maybe we just see, hear their voice. Um, so, what would you say uh, is is a character that fits that, Jason? Off the top of my head, uh, I think the best example of that that I can think of is Indiana Jones: Raiders of the Lost Ark. You see yeah. him from the back. You see him in shadow. You see the fedora, and they're following this guy. And then finally, you know, something happens. You turn around, and then you see Harrison Ford's face as Indiana Jones. I think that's a good intro. There's other ones, but that's the first one that came to mind. What about you? Yeah, I would say that's. Let's talk about that one a little bit, just because I think that one is definitely one of the the big ones. So mm-hmm. we first see Indiana Jones, I believe he's just like looking at a map, right, from the, from behind. Mm-hmm. He's like putting, mm-hmm. putting pieces together in a map. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's talking to these other characters, or these other characters are around him. We don't really know their relation to him. But then one character behind him takes out a gun and immediately we just see a hand reach for a whip and the whip knocks the gun out of the hand. And then yep. we see the, it's the Harrison Ford is uh, the character with the whip that just like comes out of the shadows. So right, he steps just, out of the shadow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's just talk about like what what does that do for like what does that tell us about this character? 
for, obviously for starters, it shows that this character is not someone who is big into guns. <laughs> for first off, okay, you see that he's That's he's a, a character yeah, that he's, that yeah. yeah, like how many characters have a whip? So that immediately is like okay. Who is this? Really cool. The uh, whip and the hat him. are iconic for that character, and they have become iconic, you know, for mm-hmm. that character. Yeah. So it's almost like Spielberg introduces us to the accessories of this character before we're introduced to the man, and that mm. that actually makes it more mysterious. Like even though we see it's Harrison Ford, we still are really intrigued by this character because of of those those iconic items. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. And it's, it's like he knew that those were going to be really, really important. And I mean, I guess it also shows that he's a powerful character. Don't mess mm-hmm. with him. He can see he's very perceptive, you know, like he's got yeah. eyes in the back of his head kind of thing. So, you know, he's important. You know, he's going to get business done and people might try to trick him or double cross him. And he's, gonna be able to take control pretty well so that's that's a good exactly. intro right there for you know i think that's the best one that i could think of off the top of my head uh could you think of any other ones oh yeah so yeah i mean you want to share another, some of yours or i'll share some yeah of another yeah. another big one is for me is et i really love oh, the, the character one. of okay. et where mm. again he's like um we we see him at the beginning of the movie but he's again he's in the shadows and everything and he's not really revealed until he's in the shed and Elliot discovers him but you know we see his hand coming out and reaching for the Reese's pieces and everything mm-hmm, another mm-hmm. very mysterious character and um I, I would say that this this one is of course we're going into Spielberg movies this one is not about him being uh like having accessories or something mysterious like that it's it's he's actually a, a creature from outer space and that's why he's he's kind of like shown in bits and pieces like it's a big reveal that hmm. um and and honestly the movie doesn't get we don't really care about et until elliot cares about et because elliot really is the character main character so right. it really is more about elliot's reaction to et as opposed to E.T. being a character, which obviously he is a memorable character, but um, his reveal is But the more surprises about- were more because we hadn't seen this character before. So yeah. we didn't know what this alien was going to look like. Friendly, mean, scary, cuddly. We, we didn't know what it was going to mm-hmm. be. Right. And then it's quite a scary shot when they first see him out in the field and that's they scre- he, he screams and Elliot he screams. Sc- that's a yeah. very memorable, <laughs> you know, that, that'll that jolt you no matter how yeah. old you are uh, when you see that. Yeah, movie. exactly. Yeah. So it's it, I love that introduction because it it immediately establishes the bond between these two characters. It's not about ET being like this wacky creature. It's about Elliot and ET mirroring each other, right? And that's what happens yeah, throughout the entire yeah. movie. There's that connection. Yeah, so yeah, E.T. is a movie about friendship. It's not a movie about aliens and sci-fi and, uh, you know, that's what it's about a boy looking for a friend and dealing with loss and loneliness. And right. And he found a friend in E.T. So, And, of course, he discovers E.T. when he's upset, right? He just got into a, mm-hmm. a fight with his mom. I forgot what the fight is about. Mm-hmm. It's some kind of dumb fight, but he just doesn't feel I think understood. it has something to do with him not having a father, I think. I think, it's, yeah, it's, I think he... Family I think tension, he, yeah. I think he's... You're right. I think he says something... Um, disparaging against his mom and 
Um, then he goes outside, you know, nobody understands. Yeah, she lashes then... out back at him. She yells at him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, um, but yeah, like that, I think that's what makes these character introductions. I think we're going to see that what makes these great character introductions is that they're visually memorable and that they say something about the character or their interaction with another character, like either through visual or through the first, first line of dialogue or, or something. I think that's really what makes these characters interesting and memorable or these introductions. Mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. what would you say is another big one? Another one that I, you know, just jotted down as we were uh, talking about this, uh, Max Cady from Cape Fear, Robert De Niro's character in the, I'm going with the 1991 Martin Scorsese Cape Fear. You Mm -hmm. see a lot of, you see the books, you see the cell, you see him working out, you see his body, the tattoos, and then you, you finally see the face. I think that's an extremely memorable character, obviously spoofed perfectly in the Simpsons episode with Sideshow Bob. But yeah. uh, that's one you learn. You don't before you see his face. You learn everything you need to know about this character: his education, his religion, his views on life, his views on vengeance is important. You know, justice and balance. The scales of justice. A big tattoo on his back. So mm-hmm. he's he's those tattoos tell you what you need to know about the Max Cady character and what he's obsessed with uh, to get them, you know, embedded on his uh, skin permanently. So that's a very memorable introduction for a villain that's, uh, oh, that's, that's, that's fitting in one. this mold that you're talking about. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that was one that I wrote down. But yeah, there, there's a few others that uh, we could go through. And I Who think that that kind of like shows that how scary he is, how, how, mm-hmm. how, how uh, you know, he's educated, he, you know, so it's, you see how tough he is with the tattoos and uh, weightlifting and physically and he's working like out. Yeah, he's not exactly. just yeah, he's not just sitting around. He's working out, and he's yeah. he looks like De Niro looks like peak physical form in that, like he did in Raging Bull. Yeah, so yeah, it really hypes him up, and I think that's a great example. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. the biggest, probably maybe the most famous one that w- it would be weird to not talk about is Vito Corleone, right? Where yes, where absolutely. We're just seeing bits and pieces of him. We're hearing his voice before we see his face, right? Right. Because it's on Bonacera's face. And then then the camera just sort of shots over and you see that it's the probably the most iconic image of Marlon Brando, who's had a lot of iconic moments uh, yeah. throughout his uh, long career. And, you know, you see him there with the cotton balls in his mouth sitting there. I think he's petting a cat in that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's quite an intro. Because uh, Bonacera comes around to the other side of the table and whispers in his ear that he wants him to kill the people that, you know, hurt his daughter. And uh, then Bonacera goes back and that's the first time we see Brando as Vito Corleone and yeah it's such an iconic moment and the darkness the shadow got to give Gordon Willis the director of cinematography a lot of credit there because that tells you a lot about his character he's in this dark world he's the lord of the dark underworld okay this mafia Mm -hmm. you know underworld yeah so it's all there just in those opening shots and what's yeah it would be it would be crazy not to talk about the lighting he's also shot from above right so he kind mm-hmm. of has those like deep shadows under his eyes where you actually don't even see his eyes. He's almost, um, I want to say demonic. It, it almost feels like, uh, yeah, we're in, we're literally in the underworld. We're literally in hell. Yeah. There's something very sinister. And it's almost like um, when you're a kid and you have a flashlight and you put it under your face for Halloween. 
mm-hmm. you know, to like yeah. scare. It's like, ooh, I'm scared. Like that's the lighting in this scene. And yeah, uh, it's unsettling. It's yeah, you know right away that there's something not right, and it's beautiful. It's artistically done. You know, fantastic. And and I guess that ties in. Bonacera's job is a uh, he's an undertaker. He runs a mortuary. He runs a funeral home. Right, so, right, yeah, right. It's very interesting as well. Yeah, so a lot revealed about one of the main the main character of the movie and a small supporting character in just that you know those opening few shots of the godfather yeah um i guess the the other one that i wanted to talk about was tim burton's batman just because i i love this introduction and of course he he's a character that's revealed in the shadows that's where kind of batman uh lives but um this was the this is not just the introduction to batman the character in this movie it's it's a reintroduction to a new way of framing who Batman is, you know, because right. obviously before then people thought of Batman as being very campy because of the Adam West Adam TV West. show and everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Tim Burton had a really difficult job of, uh, of like hyping this, you know, th- this intro is kind of everything. It's like, are they going to be, are people going to be able to take this Batman seriously after laughing about him for 20 years or something? Right. So he, he changed Batman for a generation or for generations because, you know, after that came Batman Returns and Batman the Animated Series and say what you want about Joel Schumacher's Batman. They were still wearing all black. OK, they were still in the dark costumes. So and then, of course, that led to, you know, the Batman that we had with Christopher Nolan and, you know, later Ben Affleck. Totally. And also then it's like he's shown as this mysterious character, but then he immediately gets shot. And I've always loved that moment right. that he's not someone like Superman who gets shot and just the bullets bounce off him and, uh, and he's, he's kind of immobile, immobile. He actually gets knocked Mm -hmm. off of his feet. You know, it looks like he is actually dead (laughs) in the first uh, minute or so of introducing this character. And I think Tim Burton was showing that like, yes, this is a, a sinister dark character, but this is also a man who really can get hurt. Um, you know, obviously he's wearing bulletproof, a bulletproof vest or whatever, but like still the fact that he's knocked off of his feet, that kind of sets him apart from someone like uh, Superman yeah. where the bullets just ricochet off of him. And even before that, before we see his face, the first time we see Batman, it's like an animated shot from above is like a cathedral style shot. And it's, uh, you know, you see him turn in the cape and walk out of the shadow. And then we see him come down with the smoke with the two criminals on a rooftop counting their money from the family they just robbed. And then they turn around and you see Batman and they have their fight and he gets shot. So it's it's a several, you know, small layers leading up to the big reveal of when the criminals look and see, oh my God, that's Batman. So, and they're talking about him. So that fits into, you know, your intro that you were talking about. So he is kind of hyped up uh, a a little bit there. There is no bat. There's no, you know, you see the newspaper that they're reading, you know, about a uh, Batman stalking, you know, Gotham City. So that that, that is in there. That's a good one. Uh, Yeah, Mm -hmm. I was going to mention that one. Um, A couple other ones that we could mention uh, where you see parts of their, their, uh, you know, their hand or their butt. I was thinking Oscar Schindler, the way he's introduced. 
And shoes. Oh, that's a great one. You see mm-hmm. his hand, you see the, you know, a drink, you see a cigarette. Like, he's carefree, he's care, you know, he doesn't care, he's a kind of like a playboy, uh, you know, he looks more, it's more like a James Bond intro, okay, to Oscar Schindler. So, he's, does the, yeah, he's a Nazi and they're, you know, killing people, but he doesn't seem to have a care in the world, and obviously his character is going to go through a lot of major changes over the next three plus hours uh, during the course of that film. But the way Spielberg introduced him, so we were talking about other Spielberg uh, introductions that fits the mold of how you 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 know see pieces and then the camera pans up and you see his face and he's like this handsome dashing debonair uh, almost Cary Grant looking face uh, in that moment the way he's lit yeah and I think that's done as a way to kind of um, it's almost like belies expectations right yeah. For, for a movie yeah, it's like, like it's this, very especially. soft yeah exactly like a soft you know happy intro to this carefree good-looking charismatic character and you know he's gonna learn what's going on and he's gonna just you know internally have this struggle and then change and you know his plans and end up saving thousands of lives because of it so so very, it's almost like interesting uh, it's almost intro. like the introduction doesn't show who he is who he who he becomes it shows who he is to start just it's just to establish how far he's going to come later in the movie so that's an interesting way to to do it as well because spielberg isn't telling you who he is we already know who he's going to become so the, the the introduction is more of like this is where he started from Exactly. Yeah. So with, you know, not someone who had noble intentions of saving people's lives, Uh, you know, and then you think about the last scene at the end. Liam Neeson doesn't grow a beard or shave his head or drastically change his image. But my God, that last scene where, you know, the the Jews are escaping and he's fleeing in the car and he's talking about all the other lives he could have saved. It's like, man, is that powerful? And it's such Mm -hmm. a 180 from the character that we met three hours earlier even though you know physically he looks the same but we've gone through such an emotional journey with him that we know this guy and he's a changed man a hundred percent so yeah that's 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 a good one yeah any other ones you want to mention where they sort of fit i you know i've got a few other i mean honestly there are so there are so many but why don't we just jump into movies where we hear about a character before seeing them where like you know other main characters are talking Mm. about them one other one I wanted to mention, though, in all the James Bond movies, uh, at least the first six, five, yeah, the first uh, five 007 movies, uh, you keep hearing about Ernst Stavro Blofeld, and you don't finally see him until the big reveal of like an hour into uh, You Only Live Twice, and Donald mm. Sutherland is uh, is is Ernst Stavro Blofeld. He just leans off from the other side of the chair. We've always seen his hand, the cat, you know, a foot. We would never see his face. We never see, you know, we'll see his body. And then finally, like Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget. And I'm sure it inspired that. (laughs) And of course it inspired Dr. Evil from Austin Powers because it looks exactly like him uh, with the scar on his eye and everything, the shaved head. And then he finally reveals himself and it's not a letdown. I think Donald Pleasance really does a good, you know, very small performance. Very good, uh, intriguing, performance that you know met the hype that was built up for this character through the first five 007 movies yeah and of course james bond revealed in dr no that's a great introduction to a that's a great one with him yeah because he's playing yeah playing cards with and uh, that's another one where we we don't really see his face right we're just seeing him like mess with the cards we're seeing him from behind 
and it's and yeah, then, and then we see him with a cigarette, and he goes Bond, James Bond, and right. you know, and I think uh, Daniel Craig had a great intro to his character at the beginning of Casino Royale. I liked Pierce Brosnan's intro the first time we see him as um, in as James Bond in Goldeneye. He's upside down and punches mm-hmm. the guy in the toilet, and then you finally see him straight up, you know, holding a gun, and, you know going through this uh this building trying to avoid uh people seeing him so yeah, yeah. the james bonds have some pretty good intros when they have a new 007 uh, and so, I, yeah. I i would say that the uh the daniel craig version of the james of james his james bond introduction is similar to tim burton's batman introduction where it's a reintroduction to the character it's almost like a reset right yeah and, but, well, yeah, I mean, he's fighting, he gets hurt, but he does eventually, you know, take out the other guy. Also in a bathroom, too. James Bonds have, they, they introduce new uh, actors playing 007 in bathrooms for some reason, mm-hmm. so. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> hey, both both intros were great. His and uh, Pierce Brosnan's in Goldeneye, so. Yep. So, yeah, movies where we hear about a character before seeing them. We, of course, brought up Third Man, so I feel like we should probably just start with that one. Which yeah, I, hear a I lot would say about him. A, <laughs> yeah. Well, we we think that he's dead, right? So that's what's right. also and interesting the, about yeah. that. Which I should say, spoiler alert, but um, yeah. it's a seven. And the, the Joseph Cotton movie, moment but, where he's talking about him, the Joseph Cotton moment where he's talking about him, and he flips the light switch as he says, third man." It's like, why is he doing that? Always, you know, bringing attention to that character and making you know the darkness goes down when he says third man" and goes back up. It's these little touches that uh, the director Carol Reed put in there. Very, very uh, impressive reveal, and I feel like that movie's built on that reveal. And Orson Welles is Harry Lyme, the third man, and just you know, Orson Welles has one of those faces you can never forget. Uh, you know, built for cinema, especially at that point in his career. And uh, yeah, he, he does not let you down. Well, let's talk about what visually what that introduction is like. So I oh, believe yeah. I haven't seen it in a while, but I believe like it's almost like a cat's point of view at first. Like the, there's like a cat. Yes. That goes into yep. the alley and uh, yep. starts playing with his shoelace. And we just see a foot. You we see don't his know. feet. Yeah, you see his we don't, feet first. Yeah. yeah, we don't actually know that it is Lyme yet. But, um, mm-hmm. I mean, it, well, because we think he's dead still. But it's definitely, we, we're, you know, it's an introduction that's, like, very mysterious, right? At first, where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, who is this character? Yeah. And um, then, um, uh, what's his name? Is it Joseph Cotton? Trying to remember what Joseph Cotton. Yep, that's yeah. Joseph Cotton. He uh, he realizes that someone's following him, and he starts uh, shouting. And there's like an angry neighbor upstairs who like turns on the light, and it illuminates uh, Lime's face. Yeah. Orson that's Welles. the first time we see Orson face. Wells in this yeah. movie, and that's it's late into the film, if I'm not mistaken. It's it comes, you know. Oh it's, yeah. It's not early on. Yeah. I would say the movie is is only maybe like a half an hour away from being done, right? Or maybe forty minutes. Yeah, it's a, it's a. I would say it's a. Feels like it's about halfway into the maybe a little into the first hour, probably. Yeah, I, I like you haven't seen it in a long time, but I definitely remember the intro and I remember the conclusion, uh, uh, which you know Blade Runner took heavily from, and that's one of my favorite movies. So uh, those are the two things I recall the most about the Third Man. Yeah, so it's interesting because the way he's lit. It's again with lighting. Um, well, first off, he goes. We think that he's the victim, right? So he's almost going from the mm-hmm. victim to the villain. And yeah. even though we don't know he's a villain yet, 
there's something very sinister about the way he's lit. I don't know. There's something with cats, I guess, because <laughs> we're talking about like Blofeld and um, Vito Corleone, but there's something yeah. like, sinister with about, I guess, being, like, yeah, like a cat. Yeah. Mm. Cat, like in the show. Another movie, another movie. Yeah. Another movie that fits this. And I'm thinking cats are prevalent in this movie in two particular scenes. For some reason, I just rewatched it for its 30th anniversary. Silence of the lambs. You hear about Hannibal oh, Lecter. Oh, yeah, totally. You finally totally. see Hannibal Lecter. Well, I'm just, I brought it up now because there's cats in that that also kind of lead Clarice at the end, if you remember, when she's, you know, going for Buffalo Bill, Jane Gum. She's going to that house and she's at the neighbor's house and there's a cat and she follows the cat to the building, you know, it's looking at the out the window and that's where Jane Gum lives. So it's very, very interesting. But yeah, Hannibal Lecter's another one. You hear so much about him. They don't show you the picture of what he did to the person that came too close, but you can see her horror face you know clearly and they describe you know how she can you know can't talk anymore and you know uh lost her vision just by him biting off this some uh person's face and then you meet hannibal lecter and you see the other people in the prison and they're like crazy lunatics in these dark cells and then lecter's just standing there tall proper well lit behind that glass uh you know the big glass uh protector uh, in his cell and he's just you know not what you would expect. And that was all allegedly uh, impro- uh, created by Anthony Hopkins. Jonathan Demme, the director, mm. wanted him to be like crouching and sinister and look like the other evil guys. And he's like, no. And it's it's almost scarier that he's so civilized and well-mannered and well-behaved. Because you know that you've heard all the evil that he's capable of. But he seems like, you know, nice, charming English fellow. And that goes into what we were saying about... Um, these introductions, how they say something about the character through their the visual mm-hmm. use of uh, the way they're lit, the way they're shot, yeah. um, their first line yeah. of dialogue, etc. And I I mm-hmm. totally agree with you. This definitely the way he's shot it here, and him him being a foil to the other prisoners around him. Mm-hmm. I think it really it it makes him more dangerous. It does not make him less yes. dangerous. Um, no, because he seems so much more endearing, and he's lit so beautifully bright. All the other ones are in these dark cells, and he's got paintings up and drawings. You know, he's he's got, he seems cultured, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and talented uh, at least with that. And then we hear him speak, and we we well, know he's Doctor Lecter, so he you know he's a doctor of something, uh, and he's very very well educated. And yeah, all his his brilliance is what you know makes him terrifying because he can outsmart all these other brilliant people from the FBI and doctors and, you know, other people. So yeah, that's a very, very important intro. It's almost similar to the way Scorsese uh, shoots Caddy, right? Um, well, Max Cady was revealed in pieces, so that would fit your, you know, well, your introduction where you're seeing, oh, get, and then you finally see, yeah, this yeah, is a yeah. full frontal shot. Oh, no, of, I, he's right there, full I just frame, mean, Hannibal Lecter. Sorry, yeah. I, I misspoke. I just mean, like, the way, like, what Scorsese is saying about this character, how he's this educated, smart, he's not this just dumb, brute criminal. Um, and also in a this, prison cell. Yeah, they're both right. in prison cells, but both, the, yeah, they both couldn't have done the intros more differently. Yeah. So. Oh, totally. Not the way they're shot, but yeah. more, but rather no. like why they are doing the, doing the, filming them that way or why they're yeah. showing and them they that way. And they were both nominated for Best Actor that year, I think. Mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins won, but De Niro was nominated for playing Max Cady in Cape Fear. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, but they're both like civilized criminals, I guess, is what I'm saying, and and that's Correct. that's yeah. kind of the, that's what we're introduced. That's how we're introduced to them. 
yeah. which makes them... And we learn through the course of the film that they're very dangerous, <laughs> you know, right, deadly, right. deadly criminals, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, another one for me, we talk about Hitchcock a lot so far on this podcast, but um, we, I would say Lisa Fremont in Rear Window is a really big one for, like, very, very memorable, played by Grace Kelly. That's Grace Kelly? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, but both Grace Kelly and um, uh, Jimmy Stewart, I wrote down as having excellent, excellent uh, intros. Uh, yeah, you can you can never talk enough about Hitchcock. I mean, come on. So that's uh, yeah, that's a good one. But yeah, her leaning over, down, she comes into focus with Jimmy Stewart waking up, and the other one, just the wit. You learn so much about Jimmy Stewart's character without a single word of dialogue or a single line of exposition, you know, nothing text. You see his job. You see what happened to him in his job, why he's sitting there with the broken leg, you know, mm-hmm. all those things. And you see him too. So that's a great reveal for both of those characters. I wish, wish more uh, movies uh, treated their audience that way and told them things with just visuals. Yeah. Well, let me go back to Lisa Fremont for, for an example, because it's really interesting. Uh, so, especially if you compare it to how Jimmy Stewart's uh, introduced in this movie, you know, there's a shadow appearing across his face. It, it almost starts where it seems like a sinister character is in the room with mm. him. He's, he's asleep. You're right. And there's yeah. a shadow that's like appearing on his face. Um, he opens his eyes and then from his point of view, and Hitchcock was the king of, of shot reverse shot, which is just like a technique where, you see the person looking at something, then you see what they're looking at, then you see their reaction to what they're looking at. So this is from his point of view where we see this beautiful, like almost other otherworldly being in Grace Kelly, like just larger than life coming towards him, coming towards the camera is his point of view. And uh, then we then we go into the slow motion kiss. And then she turns on a lamp she literally brightens up the entire room. So mm, uh, obviously Hitchcock point. is really is saying that this, yeah, this this woman is the light of his life, even though he doesn't know it yet. Um, and it mm. it kind of it it honestly it, it he's trying to convey the feeling of falling in love, right? Um, which I think is oh. really interesting. It it's w- like we the audience are are falling in love because it's it's shot from his point of view where it's like. You know what, and we're we're kind of like with uh with her. It's like why why is he not wanting to marry this woman? You know she's she's beautiful, she's perfect. Um, but it's interesting if we talk about the way that females are introduced versus males, especially in movies like this where you know Jimmy Stewart is introduced with his all of his accomplishments, and Grace Kelly mm. is almost like a. And she's an object, right, to be admired. So yeah, um, that's a good point. I'm not going to go into uh, you know <laughs> the social dynamics and everything with uh, male and female characters, but I just think it's interesting. In the same movie, you have very, very different introductions, and especially during those days, most of the females were introduced as like these these objects of desire. Objects these, of desire, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I will say this for Hitchcock though. At least he, unlike maybe other great directors from his time, like I'm just throwing out there, John Ford or John Huston, at least Hitchcock was giving women 
these important roles. I'm thinking of Tippi Hedren from The Birds. I'm thinking of, which is also a very good introduction. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, Grace Kelly in To Catch a Thief. His movies were more female-centric. Marnie, okay, Tippi Hedren and mm-hmm. Marnie. His movies, you know, were more female-centric than most other movies from that time, that era, you know, that were about men and male feelings and male bonding. And I think he, you know... Maybe he wasn't the feminist or the nicest woman. I think he would be on the Me Too movement. He'd be one of the offenders if you go by what Tippi oh, Hedren yeah. Uh, yeah. accused him of. He he would not. He'd be persona non grata with uh, Polanski and Woody Allen uh, in some ways. But um, he at least was giving women these big, major, important, juicy roles that they otherwise might not have gotten. In mm-hmm. other films, even Marie Saint in uh, North by Northwest. So they were having opportunities. Were they, you know, these great, heroic, strong female leads? Uh, not really. I mean, even Tippi Hedren, she's the protagonist in The Birds and in Marnie. But she's, you know, she's pretty flawed in both of them. But still, at least she had that part. At least she yeah. had that exposure. She wouldn't yeah. have gotten that otherwise with other directors. You know, I'm actually going to agree with you because... Oh, well, I, I did agree with you, but now I'm thinking even about this character Grace Kelly plays. We're seeing mm-hmm. her from Jimmy Stewart's point of view to start with, where she just seems very sophisticated, uh, this you know otherworldly, beautiful, angelic creature. And as the movie goes on, she's given a lot more agency, right? Because she's actually the oh one yeah, she does a lot of dangerous does, things. She risks yeah, a lot. So, yeah. And that's actually what makes Jimmy Stewart really fall in love with her, right? Like where he decides she's got to almost get arrested or almost get killed for him, I guess. Right. Well, because his whole thing is that, like, oh, she can never survive in the jungles with him taking pictures or doing all this dangerous stuff. She's the sophisticated Mm, woman. So actually, what's really cool now that I think about it, thank you for bringing this stuff up, is it's actually Hitchcock is tricking us into thinking. Seeing her the way that Jimmy Stewart sees her as just this uh, this beautiful woman who yeah exactly can't yeah. really do anything besides you know cook it di- well she she brings dinner to him and all this yeah. stuff she's you know she's very A feminine, beautiful but socialite then, yeah yeah so so the introduction here is actually to trick us into thinking that Jimmy mm. Stewart is right about her and then so Hitchcock's actually pulling the wool over our eyes that. Yes, she's mm. a beautiful woman. Yes, she brings light to his life. And yes, she's bringing him dinner and she's domesticated and everything. But then she's also she's also capable of getting her hands dirty, which we are kind of like siding with Jimmy Stewart. Like, yeah, there's no way she mm. could do any of that stuff. But then by the end of the yeah, movie... She's brave. She's breaking into people's homes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, actually, yeah. Yeah. T- terrific yeah. Yeah, example, yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah, Hitchcock I, makes complex characters. His films are filled with complex. I mean, there's other great character intros from Hitchcock movies that we can mention uh, right now. If we're on the Hitchcock, uh, you know, spiel here, Mrs. Danvers from uh, Rebecca, I think, is one of the mm-hmm. best intros from any movie. And yeah, it's dark behind the curtains, and I mean, that, I forget the actress's name who plays her, but man, is that a face <laughs> to be reckoned yeah. with. Okay, yeah. it's not a pretty face. But once again, Joan Fontaine, okay? The movie centers around her, okay? And it's the focused on Rebecca, the, you know, I forget, Max, Maximilian's uh, 
or, or Maxim de Winter's uh, ex-wife or, you know, deceased wife. So there's a lot of, you know, strong females in that movie. And Mrs. Danver is a chilling, chilling villain. And we know that right from the intro, right when we first see her in, you know, that first shot when they go to uh, Mandalay, right? That's the name of the uh, the estate in Rebecca? Mm-hmm. Yep. I, think. I believe yeah, so. So that's a great intro. Yeah, Rebecca's one of my favorite Hitchcock movies. So And, and that very, would be more of a, a mystery reveal, I would say, right? Where we're, we're seeing the character kind of obscured at first. If I imagine... Exactly, I and then she steps out from the shadows and from behind the curtain, and you see the, the quite an unsavory-looking face, but a face you won't forget. Almost like the Wicked Witch of the West, okay, yeah. from the, the year before, from Wizard of Oz. But, uh, yeah, she's... Definitely, you know, memorable, but, you know, and, and not, not not a beautiful woman, uh, but a woman you won't forget just by the face. Um, and another one that we can mention, uh, this is a sort of Hitchcock playing a joke, I think, on the audience, was um, Cary Grant, uh, his character's introduction in one of our favorite Hitchcock, certainly one of my favorite Hitchcock movies, oh, Notorious. Oh, definitely one of mine, too, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you see him from behind, you see him, then they, they, they're kind of hitting at his character. But it's, it's so weird and frustrating. It's like, you know that's Cary Grant from behind, and he doesn't turn around. You don't see his face in that first scene where they introduce him, and you see everybody else, you know, standing. And we're just looking at Cary Grant's face, you know, the back of his head is front and center in the camera. It's a very odd-looking, you know, way to introduce a character. But you certainly remember it. Why do you think he did that? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I think that... The movie is really from, um, I, I forgot Ingrid, Igmar Bergman's... Uh, Ingrid Bergman's, Ingrid, Ingrid Bergman's, Bergman's uh, point char- of view, yeah. Yeah, I forgot what her character's name is. Was it? Oh, no, it's Alicia, right? I don't remember either. It's Alicia. Alicia, yes, I yeah. think it is Alicia. Yeah, yeah. so um, she, I think that the movie is, is kind of doing that on purpose where um, it's kind of like uh she's she's drunk right at the time if i remember properly yes she and is yeah and so she's cop, kind in of the next like, scene she's with Cary grant and the cop pulls him over yeah yeah like her vision is obscured then through her hair and she's driving and stuff so i think it kind of like uh sets us up to realize that this is a very off-kilter character i almost feel like it says more about her than it does about him, him at that moment okay. mm-hmm I thought Hitchcock was maybe just messing with the audience because we know Cary Grant's one of the, you know, back then and even now, one of the most dashing, debonair, handsome, (laughs) you know, leading men in the history of movies. And where it's like, why aren't they seeing his face? I felt like, like, uh, what's his name? Spike Jones did that when he cast Scarlett Johansson as the voice of Samantha in the movie Her. She's one of the most beautiful women in movies today. And we, she's in this movie. She's in so many scenes in this movie. And we don't see her face. We don't see her body. We don't see anything. It's just her voice as this True. date, this app, this artificial girlfriend, uh, you know, the, that he's uh, Joaquin Phoenix is going out with. I was like, did he cast her just to mess with us and to mess with our expectations? So we're going to hear the most beautiful woman, you know, in movies, but not <laughs> actually see her. And I think Hitchcock yeah. was maybe playing with audience expectations. We're going to see the back of his head. We're not going to show you his his handsome face, not yet, at yeah. least. So, no, I I think th- I think that there's different layers to everything that he does. So I would say yeah. it's it's that, and I would say it's a little bit of like uh, the mystery uh, mystery man for for that character for Alicia's character, mm-hmm. um, or for the character named Alicia. I forgot what her full name is, but. 
Um, yeah, his his name is Devlin. I'm reading from the back of my uh, Criterion DVD. Uh, his name is Devlin. Her name's Alicia. And Claude Rains's character was a terrific performance. Should have gotten Best Supporting Actor, at least a nomination for that. Um, his name is Alex. So, yeah. Nice. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, there's a lot of these we could talk about where there's a character that we hear about before seeing. I mean, we... we I guess we should mention Willy Wonka, although, you know, I mean, that to me is a pretty obvious one, like why they do that and, and like what, yeah. what it, what it does. And he does the somersault. They do hype up his character a lot. Yeah. yeah him slowly limping then, yeah. out of his factory with a cane and then doing a somersault, yeah. dropping the cane. And I think yeah. that's literally just to show that he's not what he appears to be. And, uh, yeah. he's going to be a really spontaneous, mysterious character throughout the entire thing. Yeah, it's still a pretty iconic intro, though, nonetheless. Oh, totally. uh, so, yeah, that's... And another one that, you, you know, uh, I'm surprised you didn't mention yet, where you hear about him and see pictures and hear stories and you're reading about him through the narration through another character. Uh, the big, big one, uh, Marlon Brando as Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse yes. Now. Yes. Yep. It's to- I mean, again, Marlon Brando has a lot of great intros. <laughs> the, the Godfather, which I would say is even better than Apocalypse Now, but this fits into the criteria because you're going, I don't think he shows up until about the two-hour mark in Apocalypse Oh, totally, now. yeah. And the, the whole movie is built on find this man, you know, and terminate, terminate with extreme prejudice. Uh, this man who's gone crazy in, you know, in the jungles, you know, that's they don't even go to Vietnam deep, you know, further than, you know, most American U.S. troops have gone in that movie. And it has, Apocalypse Now has such a surreal uh, unique element to it that makes it stand apart from all other uh, war movies or Vietnam War movies that you know, it's, it's kind of like its own thing it, it transcends the Vietnam War I think no so. totally and his introduction again is like through uh, the shadows and everything right it's like kind oh, of oh sim- yeah yeah I he, mean it's actually even yeah. more more shadowy than <laughs> than Francis Ford Coppola shot him in uh, The Godfather yeah, that, that may have been because of necessity, because as we know, Brando showed up uh, very overweight and right. didn't want to learn his lines. So there's other factors to that. Apocalypse Now was kind of a, a very messy, you know, nightmare production that it's amazing that they ended up getting a movie with a beginning, middle and end out of it, let alone a great movie, arguably one of the greatest war movies of all time out of it. But uh, yeah, Marlon Brando was very difficult to work with. And I think it made sense for them to shoot him super, super dark in all of his scenes because of his character. But even if it didn't, I think they did it out of necessity because, you know, overweight man out in the jungle uh, didn't quite, you know, seem to fit with the character. But Hey, whatever. But yeah, it's a classic it made an, movie. an extremely it's iconic yeah. scene, so we can't complain. <laughs> but that's exactly. definitely what it was. Um, yeah. And then, uh, I mean, we should definitely talk about the Elephant Man. Um, ah, yes, sure. I was going to go there next. I was going to go looking at my David Lynch list of... Uh, iconic intros he's got quite a few um but uh yeah so you could talk about the elephant man first because that's a big one yeah so i mean arguably he's introduced right uh after the credits uh, in a way where we see like a, a pregnant woman it's it's done in this really uh interesting surreal montage almost like a dream where you see yeah. like this pregnant woman and she's screaming then it almost looks like an elephant is going to trample on on her and 
Then it's like a parade of elephants. I haven't seen that in. Uh, I haven't seen it in seen a it. long time, but, but I, I, do, I don't know. I just remember. Imagery, but, yeah. yeah, I remember Anthony Hopkins's face. Who's not the Elephant Man, but they show his reaction to seeing the Elephant Man, and it's sheer terror, it's sheer horror, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of talk and hype surrounding the Elephant Man. And then I don't remember how much longer, you know, later on, there's another scene, a nurse, just you know, we're looking at a nurse, and it's like a nothing scene. She comes in, she turns on a light, and bam, that flash. You see the first full shot of the Elephant Man, no bag yeah. over his head, no nothing, and it's like a whoa, like the ET moment when Elliot first sees ET out in the field. So it's kind of like that shocking moment and she screams and he screams and it's it'll it's a jolt but it's yeah very you know so you don't think you're going to see him when you do and then when you do see him it's like you know you're really taken aback so you're not expecting to see him yeah, at that moment so David Lynch was messing with audience expectations there cuz there's the scene before that where Anthony Hopkins character presents him to the doctors and he's shown in silhouette and you think you think mm-hmm. that you're going to finally see him there because it's like, you know, Anthony Hopkins is revealing him to the world. So that's yeah. like really interesting that we don't see him when the doctors see him. We we see him just when a normal, almost like a no name character. We we see her reaction to yeah. like, without any nurse. I don't know if she's in another scene in the rest of that movie. That particular nurse. So yeah, yeah. And if she is, she's in. She's very much a minor character. So Correct, it's interesting yeah. that he 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 does it like that. There is a, like a lot of hype, a lot of hype before you mm-hmm. see him. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I don't even think we have for... to. I, I just don't even think we have to go into the reason for that. <laughs> I think it's pretty yeah. obvious, like why why he does that, because it's almost like your imagination is. Uh, worse in a way of like thinking about how horrifying he is so it's like to milk that suspense of like you know who is this guy like what does he really look like i think that's that's done for that effect and um yeah very good point very very good point yeah then he's kind of shown matter of fact after that like there and yes what's great about that is that um yeah you know as we get we get more accustomed to him as well and we get to see like learn about him and see him more as a fully fledged full-fledged person um he becomes less and less ugly so it's like we have that initial shock too and then then he's no longer played for shocks then it's like oh this person can read this person can speak this person is very soft and uh has like a beautiful soul I think that's really yeah. why that's done that way. Yeah, it's a good tragic character, and and yeah, yeah, it's excellent. Yeah, anything else you want to say about Elephant Man? Because that's uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I think you hit it perfectly. Yeah, I think I think we could move on to. I I, I want to get to this category because I think it's the I almost think it's the hardest to do, um, where movies where the characters are just introduced without fanfare because. It's not like um, these things aren't done with like fancy lighting or uh, like a lot of fancy cuts or I feel like it's easier to, I mean, not, don't get me wrong. The things that we mentioned are, are super iconic and they're hard to do right. But I do think mm-hmm. it's almost harder to introduce a character like, the, uh, like this where it's like there's no camera trickery or 
like hyping them up through dialogue. It's just like they come out. Yeah, just like a head-on front shot. You're just meeting this character and they make an impact on you right away. So right. um, what are some that you want to share? Do you want me to share a couple uh, that I have? Yeah go, yeah, go ahead. All right. Well, I mean, the first one that I'm thinking of, you think of iconic, you know, opening shots. And Kubrick, I think, is one of the kings of great opening shots. So I'll start with, you know, his introduction to Alex from A Clockwork Orange. It's just that opening shot. You hear that eerie, creepy music, and then boom, right on Alex's face, and the camera slowly, it's minutes long, pans back, you know, goes back, and you see him and his droogs, his friends, and they're sitting at the Crova Milk Bar, and his narration fills you in on who they are, what they do, what they're into, Uh, but that's a very iconic intro that's been spoofed many times and has never been duplicated. I think that might be the best, you know, opening shot intro right on a character's face and then you know scrolling back and learning about his world and you know we we know everything we need to know about him after that first you know long two minute uh shot and he's just staring at us right yep he's just staring at us i think at one point he might have a sip of the milk uh you know but yeah he's not blinking and the droogs they're very it's not a still photo but it looks like they're they're told not to move you know the way they were directed so they're pretty motionless i guess and getting ready for a night of the old ultra violence and uh, why would you say you know yeah why would you say like what would you say that does to this uh, for this character why would you why would kubrick do it like this we're thrown into his world Bam! Right away, and we're gonna we're following it. So the, the focus is on the eyes because he has one eye that has the eyelashes. Okay, so I think we're gonna see the world through his eyes uh, in good ways and in bad, and we certainly do. We, he's in every yeah. frame of the two and a quarter hour movie, and we follow him, and we you know even though he's doing horrible, awful you know things. We sympathize with him when things don't work out for him or when he gets, you know, unfairly treated or when there's, you know, it's a, it's a commentary on the corruption of the government and the penal system and the justice system and uh, the police. OK, so and human nature. It's, I think it's a great, great film, you know, sociology experiment sort of um, about human nature. But I think right there in that first shot, we're thrown in. This is the guy. This is who we're following. And I mean, sure, you know, there's movies that do that where they have have the main character you know killed off halfway or half an hour into the movie but uh we're you know with this guy and we're seeing the world through his eyes and his violence and his action you know for the next two two plus hours and we're looking at him as he's looking at us which is a big Mm. uh, theme of the movie i would say is like that the looking the looking and the voyeurism and the yeah the staring into each other's souls like that i feel like that's mm-hmm. that's really big into the into that movie as well. Yeah. Now you've got me thinking about voyeurism themes in Psycho, and we didn't mention a great intro, uh, you know, to Frank Booth from uh, Blue Velvet, a movie that deals heavily with voyeurism. And because you hear about Frank Booth, and then you finally see him, and he just walks into a room. It's not a big deal, but man, does the movie change in that oh, yeah. scene. Yeah, You know, I, I mean, Blue Velvet's all, eh, whatever, I'm not saying it's, you know, it's kind of hokey and kind of so, but then he comes in, and it gets darker, and the whole tone shifts, and we're in a whole different dangerous world once we, you know, finally see Dennis Hopper, and he reveals what his character's all about, and it's like the ultimate evil has just walked into this film, this, you know, otherwise quaint 1950s ideal suburban setting. Yeah, totally. Um, 
I would say, yeah, that's that, that was a great that's a great example. Um, of course, well, no, I'll let you. I mean, you you definitely, of course, wanted to talk about we're doing Darth, like Darth the, Darth Vader the front shots, uh, yeah, I mean, Darth Vader, which we yeah. t- we talked about. We kind of talked about his intro in our villains podcast. When we did our villains how amazing podcast, that was, yeah. but but it would be dumb to not mention that. <laughs> That Correct, character yeah. again. I mean, he's he's one of the most iconic villains of all time for a reason, and not even three prequels that sort of you know could uh, maybe lessen the impact of his you know evil villainous uh, antagonist legacy. But uh, I think it all starts with that opening shot, that fir- mm-hmm. well, the first shot that we see of Darth Vader. You know, he boards the the they board the ship. He comes on. You've got a white background, white hallway. And fire, smoke, you know, laser guns shooting. And then he walks out. You see the mask, the helmet, the cape, the black costume, the breathing. And we're just like, whoa, who is this? What is this? You, It's an image you will never forget. And yeah. it's one of the most unforgettable images. And just that first intro to him, it doesn't matter what he says. It doesn't, you know, he's the bad guy. And, you know, he's serious. Or you certainly hope. I think... Lucas kind of dropped the ball with Darth Maul because he kind of had that, you know, in episode one with Darth Maul, but Darth Maul didn't make it past the first prequel. So, uh, right. you know, but but what a what a great intro. And and man, that was, you know, such an incredible and that set the tone for Darth Vader's character over the next three movies. Mm-hmm. You know, we find out more about him and eventually we find out more about him through the prequels. But still, that first shot in, you know, episode four, A New Hope. One of the best villain intros or character intros ever, period. Totally. I'm going to mention one that may not come to mind uh, at first, but when I was thinking about Tarant, first off, Tarantino has, I can't even imagine, I can't even count how many great character introductions that he has, but... See, um, I only listed one. Oh, I mean, I think that uh, Daryl Hannah's character... In Kill Bill, that's a great introduction to her. I think yeah, that... Yeah, um, that's a good one, yeah. I think that... Uh, I forgot his... his was his name? Lan, Landa? I think his character... Hans Landa's the only one I wrote down. I think that's... Because that, that opening scene... I, I read an article one time online that that scene is the best uh, directed scene by Quentin Tarantino. I don't I know if I would argue that far. Yeah, I, I don't know if I could you argue wouldn't argue. That. Or uh, something I, I would very say, close to that. I mean, it would definitely yeah, be maybe the, top the second three. best. <laughs> but yeah, I would say Samuel L. Jackson's scene at the end of Pulp Fiction might be my favorite single scene that Tarantino mm-hmm. ever directed. But yeah, it's a great intro. He pulls up. He asks for the farmer, a dairy farm. Asks for the milk. Slowly, the daughters that you know slowly ingratiates himself into the world. Takes out that big pipe. So yeah, Hans Landa from Inglorious Bastards. To me, I would say that first whatever it is, ten minutes of Inglorious Bastards when he pulls up to the dairy farm in France and slowly gets the farmer to, you know, tear up and start to reveal that he's harboring Jews uh, under his floorboards and he points out where they are and they kill him and he switches languages from English to French and it's it's a uh, German. It's fantastic. So uh, that's one of the best intros for any character and you just know he's smooth, he's smart, and he is evil and he's going to do his job. And they establish all that when they, you know, he talks about the rumors that he's heard, you know, uh, the, the, what kind of uh, person Hans Landa is. So, yeah, yeah. which uh, intro? But that one actually wasn't the one that I was going to say. Um, that to me I, is the most iconic one from a Tarantino movie. But what well, were you going to say? Let's see what you say about this one. The introduction of Vince Vega and Jules 
I believe is extremely, extremely influential. The Royale with cheese scene. That's the first time you see them. They're introduced without fanfare. That's been parodied a million times. It show it. We don't know where these characters are going, what they're doing. Um, They're not like uh, they're not like loading guns, and they're not like oh let's get ready to go in there and we're gonna kill these. They're not they're they're not just two cool guys talking about hamburgers in France and traveling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and again, the movie well. Tarantino does this his entire career to plays with expectations, but this movie is based on all of these stock cliche characters, and just then he just kind of stands those uh, cliches on their head. And I, I think this mm. is like an extremely iconic scene in well in the history of cinema, pretty it's much. It's obviously and, very iconic. There's no denying that. And, and, and yeah. you know what? Maybe I took it for granted how casual that intro is to not realize how important of a character intro it is so right. yeah that's that's how because it's just a smooth quick you know you meet them after the opening credits after the pumpkin honey bunny scene you know and you just see them just driving and talking and we're just thrown into their world and eventually we realize they're hitmen eventually we, we realize what they're there to do and we see their guns you know five ten minutes after they get out of the car and are just talking you know about foot massages and whatever and that's what tarantino's known for is his natural dialogue that yep. doesn't necessarily tie into the plot but develops the characters and also so, his obsession yeah, with a, feet <laughs> and his obsession with feet there you go once again it started there i guess so yeah that's that's an excellent example and i i didn't think to put that because it's almost too casual and too you know not you know so laid back and smooth but very important and yes it's been spoofed more times than the hans landa uh introduction or any you know maybe any tarantino scene i think that's been mm-hmm. spoofed uh more than more than anything else he did so that's a good one i actually would argue that the uh the introduction of uh uma thurman's character is extremely iconic as well especially yes in pulp fiction yeah that's a slow she's reveal. a character we that's spoken yeah. yeah she's spoken about for half the movie or maybe not half a, like mm-hmm. a quarter of the movie no, or half something. an hour maybe the first 20 minutes or something and then we finally see her face when uh when she removes the yeah, camera and she they go out with uh she right with we John see like a close-up of her of her lips and everything so her feet actually, her lips yeah, her hands right. yeah so that actually kind of goes into our first two categories the mystery reveal and movies mm-hmm. where we hear about a character before seeing them so it's interesting i didn't think about that one until yeah. we just started talking about it but but yeah, that's a great introduction as well. And I actually would say, mm-hmm. now that I'm thinking about it, all the characters have great introductions. I think that Butch has a great introduction. Um, yeah, because we see his face, but we hear Ving Rhames talking. Mm-hmm. It's a very unusual introduction. Yeah. And Marcel, yeah, and, and Ving Rhames as Marcellus Wallace, I think that's a, an mm-hmm. interesting way to introduce him as well with this, this Band-Aid and you just hear this, uh, this deep voice. And uh, yeah, it's like... It actually introduces both of those characters. Yeah, because you don't know for like, it's minutes that he's talking. Minutes that Ving Rhames is just talking to Bruce Willis. And Bruce Willis is just sitting there, you know, just listening. And we're hearing this voice. And unless you know it's Ving Rhames or have seen it before, really know his voice, you don't know who's talking or, you know, you know, someone's talking to Bruce Willis. But you're like, why are they doing it that way? It's like Cary Grant, the back of the head. Why are they Mm -hmm. doing it that way? So, yeah, messing with expectations. So, yeah, you'd expect to see the face of the man who's talking. And then the reaction, but he doesn't give us that. So, and I actually uh, remember yeah, there was all this big debate over uh, over Vin, uh, over Marcellus Wallace having the band aid 
um, uh, you know, in the back of his neck, like people were saying stuff about like, oh, he's trying to get his soul back and the soul, his soul is yeah. actually in the briefcase and like something right. about the soul escaping through the neck. So it's kind of ridiculous, but that, that you know, there was well, a lot of mystery allegedly, around yeah, that yeah. band, that single bandaid. The fans started that, but allegedly I think they put the bandaid there because Ving Rhames in real life, I think has a scar on the back of his head and they thought mm-hmm. that would be distracting. So instead they just covered up with a bandaid and that was sort of it. But Which yeah. is kind of and distracting I think it is too. 666. <laughs> it's, yeah, but I think it's also 666 is the code to open the briefcase. Yes, yes it is. So yeah, so that ties in with Ving Rames being the devil and the soul because we don't know what's in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction so mm-hmm. one of the great movie mysteries I suppose will never read them that's the MacGuffin of the film like the Maltese Falcon or uh, whatever uh, MacGuffin you want to pick um, yeah. what's another so, one yeah, for, th- for you that like uh, a character just comes out fully formed like that well uh, one that I was thinking I mean there's a lot uh, you know I want to mention I mean you see his hand and you hear about him first but Quint from Jaws the hands mm-hmm. scraping on the chalkboard and that awful noise and everyone stops and looks and then you see in the back Quint is there and talking about the shark and what he's going to do I think that's a fantastic unforgettable intro and it's telling you he's going to you know irritate you but he's going to get the job done kind of thing and he's all business and all by himself so that was a very memorable uh, intro to Robert Shaw's character as Quint from Jaws definitely um, and, it, and it definitely tells you yeah. a lot about who that character is so that's a great mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Um, a few other ones, I guess, you know, the T-800 from Terminator, uh, the first one and the second one. I think the second one, his intro is even more iconic because uh, mm-hmm. then he goes into that bar, beats up the people, and then they play the Bad to the Bone song and he's got the leather jacket and the glasses and the gun and then takes the guy or he takes the guy's sunglasses afterwards. And then T-1000 you know, becomes the cop, I feel like that's even more dangerous, especially for a kid. You know, yeah. a cop is coming after to kill a kid, you know, so I think that was really, both of those intros were very, you know, you get the idea right away. You know, this one is a little more comical, a little more laid back. You could trust, even though Arnold was the villain in the first Terminator, you get the idea that he's not all bad in the second one right away. Uh, but that steely, menacing Robert Patrick as the T-1000 in Terminator 2, you know, I guess it's worse to kill a cop versus just beating up a couple of bikers at a bar and taking their, you know, clothes and their uh, bike, you know, isn't, yeah. isn't really that bad compared to killing a cop. So big, totally. big difference with both of those intros. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have. So, I mean, I, I, who, who do you have? Well, I have one from. There's a movie that we've talked about recently, and it's. I know it's one of our favorite movies, and it's another one where it just comes so matter of fact that it's easy to not think about. But Marge in um, Fargo, played by Frances McDormand, mm. like which okay. honestly one of my cha- favorite female characters in any film. Yeah, and it totally changes the tone of the movie. I remember Roger Ebert famously said that the movie was a movie seemed like it was just going to be about pathetic bad guys. And with her introduction, it turns into a great movie. So Mm. it totally changes the tone of the movie. It, it shows us a lot about her just picking up the phone. We show, see that she's pregnant. Like a a lot of things are revealed right, right there. Like her, obviously the painting behind her that the husband did. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, the, like her, her kind of like motherly tone and um, yep. just her demeanor and everything. And, and it stands in such sharp relief of 
the low lifes that we've seen and William H Macy and all these other characters that were introduced to yeah. first. I just think it stands out as one of the great great introductions in all of mm. cinema honestly to one of the great female characters. I think she's one of the greatest uh, you know, heroines or movie heroes uh, of male or female of any movie is Sheriff Marge Gunderson in Fargo. And yeah, and it captures her whole, like, I can't believe people are doing this. You know, it's a beautiful day. Why would they give yeah. more to life than a little bit of money? It's captured right there in the first few moments, you know, with her right. and her husband. I'll fix you some eggs. No, I gotta go. Stay asleep. You gotta eat a breakfast, Marge. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. it's it's fantastic. And it's funny. And, it's, and her character, there is humor beforehand. I think William H. Macy and Steve Buscemi are hilarious hilarious in this Steve Buscemi yep. and uh, Peter Stormare's you know back and forth dialogue you know driving in the car yeah. together is funny but but she just adds a human element to it and I guess the moral compass of the movie because otherwise yeah there's no one with good morals in this movie they're all varying degrees of low life um, mm-hmm. and she's you know the one that we can relate to and root for and she's such a relatable you know and great hero and she's seven months pregnant or six months pregnant it's incredible that's a, absolutely I'm talking about messing with expectations you know yep. the hero is a six month uh, female uh, pregnant woman that's the sheriff okay that's incredible right so, and you kind of think a very good one and she almost comes off as as simple and like not very smart, yeah naive right like very naive even, she just... comes across as naive like oh it's a beautiful world it's a you know she has that because with the scene with the uh asian man uh when she meets him right. and she finds out you know she lied to her about everything his wife didn't die he's like well like what what, what mm-hmm. was all that and i remember thinking but it was a little insight into her you know outlook and how this guy you know, lied to her the whole time they were eating lunch together. And she's like, what, why would he do that? What, you know, she was just completely, you know, thrown that someone could do that to her. So and now so she's got to deal that, with these murderers. Yeah. yeah. And it's just so funny that you just think she's going to be eaten alive, you know, just seeing her. And the, again, this is playing with expectations as well, that Coen mm-hmm. brothers, just like Tarantino are really good at that. And, but instead, yeah. like she ends up being, she gets the last laugh because her, her moral compass actually, you know, writes the entire movie. Um, she doesn't yeah. get swallowed up in it. Instead, the the movie almost gets swallowed up in her goodness and wholesomeness. You yeah. know, like the characters end up feeling ashamed <laughs> at the end of the movie. Yeah, at the end, she's like, "Yeah, don't you know there's more to life than a little bit of money?" You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, excellent, excellent example. So Fargo remains my favorite Coen Brothers film, and that's saying a lot considering. Uh, their output but uh you know it's it's a terrific terrific movie so yeah what do you what else you got you got anything um other ones that we could just mention that we could throw down uh you know i think the classic monster uh movies i think the first time we see bella lugosi as dracula the first time we see boris karloff as frankenstein's monster uh the first transformation we see of lon cheney jr turning into the the Wolfman, the Phantom of the Opera. I think I mentioned him with the, in the villain one, the Lon Chaney when his mask is taken off and it's like, oh my God. But you've seen him with a mask. You've heard about him, the Phantom, the Phantom, you know, living under the opera. So those are some incredibly impressive uh, uh, character intros that have 
tried to be duplicated and they can remake all the other ones as much as they want, but they, they will never quite top those introductions. I mean, when you think of Dracula, you know, Bella Lugosi, that's been the classic Halloween costume for almost a hundred years now. Uh, same thing with Frankenstein with the bolts in the neck and the scars and the square looking head. So mm -hmm. all of those, you know, they've become so iconic and their intros are just like, whoa, no one had seen anything like that before. Totally. And they they hold up so those are ones worth mentioning i mean you nosferatu you mentioned him uh yeah. prior to uh this but if it if it is i haven't seen nosferatu straight through in a very long time if his reveal is the out of the shadows you see that white face with the long nails and the white hand coming out that is an amazing introduction for any character mm -hmm. uh, if that's oh, the, totally. indeed the first time we actually see nosferatu yeah so that's a great one I had one that I thought of when we were just talking about, um, you know, John Travolta as Vince Vega. I was thinking about another John Travolta movie, Saturday Night Fever, where mm. if we're talking yeah. about char characters that just like jump off the screen right away. The opening um, credits. The opening yes. credits with him with just like walking alive, down yeah. the street is so That's iconic a great and, one. and really does tell you a lot about who this character is. And I mean, just to show yeah. how cool he is pretty much. Yeah, he's getting the pizza, he gets soda, he's carrying the paint, he's hitting on women, and a pretty woman walks by, <laughs> and she's just not interested, but he's, he's going to ba ba badger her just for a little bit. Yeah, that's right. a, that is a great intro, and it shows you his world as well. Not just yep. him, but his world, his Brooklyn, 1977, New York. Uh, yeah, that's, so that introduces you to you know the world and him at the same time. Yeah, that's a mm -hmm. great one. So, wow, that's a, you know, a couple other good ones we didn't mention. Uh, Don Logan from Sexy Beast. I know I, I'm much more familiar with that film than you are, but that's another one where they hear the hype. Oh, my God, he's coming. Oh, no, they're terrified that this man is coming to visit them because uh, mm -hmm. he has a job for them. And then you finally see him the back of the head, him in the car. Then he finally gets out and he just curses. And it's it's a very, very good intro. Uh, I, I do recommend uh, Sexy yeah, Beast. Yeah, I, I do. That I, one. I do remember really liking that movie, so I would definitely watch that again. I just don't remember it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's it's a short one too. It's only like eighty nine minutes or something. So it's a and he was nominated for an Oscar. I wish he won uh, for that Ben Kingsley because it's it's the you the last person you'd expect to play this evil villain. You know, I think we had mentioned him. I may have mentioned him in the villains uh, podcast. Uh, is the actor Ben Kingsley who's most known for Gandhi? I mean, what a you know such a departure for him. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's a couple other ones that we could list. You mentioned a few other ones. Do you want to mention any more? Are the ones that you uh, were talking about um well yeah i did i guess in passing we could talk about lolita of course like uh what mm -hmm. we're talking well talking about kubrick kubrick's lolita um just i guess Phenomenal kubrick has a lot intro. of a yeah. lot of great intros to characters yeah. um i mean dr strangelove is another great introduction now that i think about like the actual character yeah, of dr strangelove because he just like yeah. pops he just pops out we don't even know that he's sitting in the war room it's just all of a sudden like yeah Hey, Doctor Strangelove, what's your opinion? And then uh, Peter Sellers just like rolls away, but uh, like yeah, uh, with the that chair, German the, accent. Yeah. yeah now you got like, me thinking about other intros. How about uh, um, George C. Scott's intro in that? Because it's the woman, the you know, she's in, like, oh, a bra, yeah, and uh, but she answers the phone, and he's like, mm -hmm. he's in the bathroom, I suppose. He's indisposed or something, and he's like, ah, oh, just tell him to do this. And she's like, and then she all nicely, she goes, "Have you tried calling?" <laughs> and then finally, <Yeah. laughs> he comes over and is like boxers. Oh, 
he's like, amazing. What do you need? What yeah. do you want? I gotta go to the war room. It's that's a great intro, and it ends with him saying, "I'll be back before you can say blast off." Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's a really funny intro. Uh, so yeah, Doctor Strangelove has two. Those are two very good ones. I think I like the George C. Scott one even more, and I wouldn't have thought about that if you didn't mention. Uh, Dr. Strangelove's intro. Yeah. Um, another one, Mrs. Robinson from The Graduate. Sure, right, I mean, right. Benjamin Braddock has a good intro during the long opening credits of him, you know, at the airport and everything. But uh, I think Mrs. Robinson with her, you know, like a sexual predator with her, you know, leopard. Always, She's always wearing some sort of leopard uh, print. Uh, even when she's in her underwear, her bra is black and with some leopard uh, print on it. So she's always got that going on. And yeah, the, the shot through the legs and the shot, everything like that is really, really um, uh, impressive. And you know, she's something. She's like a, you know, a sexy older woman, sex pot sort of thing. And she's up to no good. There's something off about her the whole time. So that's I a would very really, good intro. I think. Yeah. I would think that Benjamin's intro is actually really great though too. You're right. That that's, Oh, it's phenomenal. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, because that says, yeah. that says so much about the character that he's drifting through life, that he's not in yep. control of his own, his own uh, life at all. You know, he's just kind of like standing yeah. still while the world is kind yeah, of, he's moving. not even in control of his own walking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like that drifting, that aimlessly drifting and like, he's got that, glazed look on his face that says so right. much about that character in such a small amount of time that i think that's a great introduction to a character too it is yeah and and tarantino kind of ripped it off or homage whatever you want to say oh, pam to jackie brown yeah with yep. pam greer and totally. jackie brown yeah and then eventually she's running to get her flight to make it to her plane but uh, mm -hmm. yeah so that was a good one um, I think RoboCop, I always think of the shadows, you know, once, you know, the Peter Weller's character finally becomes RoboCop, you know, you see his point of view when they turn the camera on after he's shot, you see them, you know, celebrating, talking about him as if he's not there, you know, remove the arm, do this, do that, you know, checking his sight and checking his, you know, uh, all that and then finally they get him up they take the tarp off of him and you know they say stand up walk and he stand up and then eventually you see shadows then you see like an arm you see you know little things and then finally you see a full shot of you know, peter weller in the robocop costume and it's pretty iconic and memorable and that was a really good introduction to you know they hyped it up and it, the the look met the hype kind of thing so and what about uh robo teen Ah, yes, there we go. <laughs> Paul Verhoeven mispronouncing names. Yes, uh, we should maybe explain that. We Patrick should probably explain I, we, that. We, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's the Paul Verhoeven is one of my favorite directors and I love his um his commentaries. He does commentary on most of his movies. Um and his total recall commentary, it's him with Arnold Schwarzenegger, so double hilarious. Um yeah. but uh Paul Verhoeven with his Dutch accent does mispronounce some words and things and uh he <laughs> Rob Bowton is the name of uh, the guy who did the makeup and special effects designs on um, on Total Recall. He also did The Thing. He's a great makeup artist. He learned under Rick Baker. Um, and for some reason, Paul Verhoeven, is, throughout the commentary, he keeps talking about the special effects. Uh, this was made by Robotine. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole time I kept turning to you, I was listening to it with you, and I was like, 
why does he keep talking about Roboteen? Is that like the prequel to <laughs> Robocop or something? Like Robocop, Roboteen, yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I don't know, but he's just the way he says his name, it just rolls off. It sounds like Roboteen, but it's Rob Botin. Okay, or Botin, I believe. Rob Botin, but he sells him Roboteen. And he kept saying it over and over and over, and Patrick and I just kept laughing. And Arnold says a lot of funny things in that movie as well. So, uh, in the commentary <laughs> yeah. on that movie. Definitely. Uh, so, I, mean, yeah. I think we both would highly recommend listening to that commentary. Yes, if, you have, if you're a fan of movie commentaries, few are as funny as the Total Recall commentary with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Paul Verhoeven. And now, we didn't mention any comedic uh intros to movies mm. uh so i've you know i guess the closest we got to a, co- a comedy one is maybe some of the tarantinos or certainly willy wonka but um how about i mean i've got two right here that i listed that are very funny intros to characters and also tell you about the characters um i've got dark helmet from Spaceballs, which is an obvious spoof of darth vader and yeah. he's walking and everyone's so scared and so scared and it's little rick moranis and then she finally lifts up the the front of the helmet so you could see his face and he's got his glasses. He goes, how can anyone breathe in this thing? Uh, so that's a really funny intro and that sets the tone for Dark Helmet's character. Uh, but everyone fears him and it's funny. And uh, Gene Wilder in Blazing Saddles, who's uh, upside down and then falls and then he wakes up and he sees Cleavon Little as the black sheriff and he goes, are we awake? We're not sure. Are we black? Yes, we are. Well, then we're awake. And very confused. So I always like that intro from Gene Wilder and Blazing Saddles. Uh, can you think of any good comedic uh, intros to characters that are really memorable? Oh man, that's a good question. I I, I like. I, I mean, this is sort of comedic. I feel like Doc Brown's introduction is is pretty fun. Like where okay, um, you know, Marty goes to his house and everything and i guess that's like kind of like a mystery like a mysterious character type of thing where you don't know like who this weird so- you know you're seeing all the gadgets well and do we first see him first. i think we first see him we first see him outside the mall when he's going to test the delorean time machine right yeah well marty meets him there like he we in- we're introduced to him right. over the phone right marty calls and says yes, like yeah. hey like hey einstein hasn't been fed and like where are you and da 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 da. The um, clocks are exactly fifteen minutes behind. I'm late for school. <laughs> Slams down the yeah. phone and he uh, the, the plays Power of Love. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and I guess I like that introduction to him because we're seeing all of his gadgets and weird things beforehand, and there's like a little mm-hmm. bit of a suspense around his character, although. Obviously, with the, how well known that movie is, that there's no real suspense anymore about Christopher Lloyd. But I'm just thinking, if you had never even heard of that movie and you were first introduced to Christopher Lloyd, um, I feel like that would be a funny introduction. Yeah, and even the first time you see him with that wacky, you know, white hair like Einstein, you know, mm-hmm. it's yeah, exactly. very, very. It's a memorable. It's a memorable character. Um, I just thought of another funny one: the intro to King Arthur from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh yeah, that is a good one. You hear the horses, you see the smoke, you're up on a mountain, you see, you hear like a horse is coming, and then what do you see? You see a guy walking, smacking two coconut halves together, and another man behind him galloping like he's pretending to be on a horse, and whoa <laughs> yeah. there, and he's King Arthur, and <laughs> that's that's Monty Python and the Holy Grail for you. Uh, that's oh, I like the, the introduction to the Ghostbusters. 
the Ghostbusters yes, introduction. Yes, Venkman a great, has a good a introduction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, die Venkman on the door. Yeah, that's a very good one for Peter Venkman, uh, yep. especially for the Ghostbusters. So I like that one. Yeah, so uh, comedic uh, introductions are, I'm trying to look, I'm looking at my DVD, like my shelf from here. I'm trying to think if there's any other ones that are really funny that like, oh my God, that's so funny. Oh, we talked about Dr. Strangelove. That's one of the funniest movies ever made. And two oh, characters yeah. have great intros in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, maybe to a lesser extent, Eddie Murphy is the nutty professor. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, because you see, you see, that's another one. You see all the parts, you see his hands, his, you know, bow tie. You don't actually you see his face. You see him putting on the suspenders. You see him grabbing food uh, to eat it, but you don't actually see the face until, you know, a little bit later on there. So, yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right. But yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I feel like there's honestly like so many and I'm sure we missed a ton. But uh, I, I just want to say my one that kind of encompasses name the three different categories that you said for oh, right, character right. introductions. Because so, there's one that is all three in a span of ten minutes, more less than ten minutes, and it's so, one of the best intros ever. Okay, so there's the one where char- other characters are talking about a character before they're shown. There's and the, that happens the here mystery reveal where we're kind of seeing like parts of the person we don't or they're obscured in shadow or or whatever at first that happens to an extent in this and then there's and then it's like the character well i don't know if it could fit all three because the other one is more like the character just comes out um fully no it definitely fits it definitely in my opinion i could argue that it definitely fits it's the joker from the dark knight heath ledger hmm I was actually thinking because they're about talking that about him. what about yeah. this Joker? What about that? You know, and then he does. You kind of see there's something he doesn't talk, but he's one of the robbers with the you know clown masks on in the bank. And then there is that boom, sudden reveal when he takes the mask off. Okay, and and you first see his face. So it does fit all three. So I would say that's one of the best opening scenes and character introductions to any movie. Everything you need to know about the joker is right there he's two steps ahead of everybody he plans way ahead uh he'll kill his own people no i kill the bus driver or whatever he says you know and then the bus his he pull he drives the bus out with all the money and then there's a bunch of school bus in in front of him and one coming up behind him so they'll never catch him uh it's, it's a it's a fantastic scene so that's that i say fits kind of a little bit all three intros all different types of intros yeah, you're right. That does that does kind of fit everything, and it, I mean that is obviously one of the best intros to a character, especially it's a character that's so well known. So there's already like that that hype surrounding like oh I remember going Ledger. in negative yeah yeah exactly thinking how are you going to do better than Jack Nicholson one of the best actors that ever lived one of the best actors of all time playing one of his most iconic roles I never would have thought that you know that role could be topped you know or just even you know on the same level on par with Nicholson and it, it it did he did a much much better job or just he made the character his own he made, updated the character and fit for the world that Christopher Nolan created for his Batman movies and it was phenomenal he won a posthumous Oscar for it and he deserved it yeah I yeah I can't right. disagree with that all right, I guess uh, should we should we wrap things up here? I guess we'll wrap things up. So character intros are important. We didn't talk about any bad character intros. Uh, I can think of <laughs> a few, but eh, 
I mean, I don't know. <laughs> the movie Daredevil, I think, has the laziest character intros I've ever seen, um, with Ben <laughs> Affleck and uh, uh, the 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 Electro, the Electra, and uh, Michael Clark Duncan as Kingpin. All of them were just the most laziest, uninspired intros, and I was like, "Come on, really?" Bull, That's Bullseye how though, the villain? Bull, Bullseye has some really fun scenes, though. I would say he's the uh, his character is the uh, highlight of that movie. Uh, and that was when Colin Farrell, when they were shoving him down our throats uh, for like that two or three year period. He's fun in that. He's fun in that. Two to two thousand four. Uh, we'll compared agree to disagree on okay. that one. Compared to everybody else, like the fact that I think he kills an mm. old lady with a peanut. Uh, I would say nothing that he, about that movie was good. No, <laughs> and I, for my for my I disagree. Opinion, I think yeah. I think that part okay. was fun, but that's uh, literally the only scene I remember him killing somebody with a peanut. Okay. Yeah, I remember hating it, and I remember the intros being the laziest character intros I had ever seen. So, there. And that was also a dark time for Ben Affleck, okay? Because that was the period, that was, I think, the same year or the year before Gigli. I don't remember exactly, but he had a really bad spell there in the early 2000s, Ben Affleck, so. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to really go out of my way to defend that movie, so. (laughs) Okay. Alrighty, so we'll end there. Character intros are very important. Important not to be lazy, and I think I like it when they show the exposition without, you know, revealing too much and letting the audience figure things out with, you know, like in Rear Window or, you know, I'm thinking the way Hitchcock did uh, his intros uh, to a lot of his characters, or The Godfather, certainly. So, yeah, there's yeah, some great, all of our, great intros, and they're very our, important. Yeah, all of our examples are like show, don't tell, which is the, mm-hmm. the key... Uh, well, something that I guess a lot of modern movies don't do anymore, but but I, I love that. I love when you can show who a character is, not just tell the audience. And all the examples are done very visually that we named. So, yeah, that's why they're part of the, some of the best movies ever made, I guess. So, <laughs> uh, Yep, absolutely. With some of the most memorable characters ever made, and they have great intros. So we didn't mention any characters that are like, oh yeah, I forgot about that guy. I mean, even a movie like Sexy Beast isn't as well known as, you know, The Dark Knight or The Godfather, but it's a very good movie, and when you do see it, you're going to remember, you know, uh, Don Logan, Ben Kingsley's character in that movie. He's, you know, a force to be reckoned with for sure. Mm-hmm. So. All right, so I guess, yeah, until next time, this concludes episode three of Cinemotif. I'm Patrick Alaka. Yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, I'm Jason Konigsberg, and you can check out uh, all, well, this will be streaming on all of the uh, places where you can get uh, podcasts from, and you can check out all of my stuff at uh, panandslam.com. Live long, prosper, and watch movies. All right, take care.